welcome to episode 285 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know it's going to be an excellent episode when I struggled to just get through the intro <laughs> because in the last second, at the last moment, I doubted the number we were on, which I only keep track of this by way of the wonderful calendar appointments that you set for us. So I'm pretty sure this is 285. Yeah. It's really funny because we had like a 20-minute conversation before the show about what episode <laughs> number this is. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm excited. Yeah, that's factually correct. So we're we're talking about special providence on this episode, and we've been moving through. We're trying to, again, kind of accumulate or aggregate up this way in which we're approaching theology. We start with theology proper, and we're moving through all these wonderful aspects of it. So I'm super stoked about this because we've gotten some feedback about how important and how valuable it is, and also like how ministerial it is to appreciate providence, not just as this like kind of nebulous doctrine, but as something that is like, eminent and transcendent, that God is above and beyond us, of course, but that he is involved in our lives in a very particular way. And so we're going to get to that today with this idea of special providence. But that is just a teaser. Like we've gotten really good, I think, at like this formation of saying like, here's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, here's all the fun stuff we're going to talk about ahead of that, which is, of course, affirmations and denial. So what are you affirming on this episode? So I'm affirming a little app uh, for, I think it's available on Android, but I have it on my tablet, my iPad. It's the Trinity Psalter Hymnal app. Oh and, my um, word. The Trinity uh, Psalter Hymnal is a joint effort between the OPC and the RPCNA, I believe. I think Ooh. that's a lot of letters. I think I got that yeah, right. Yeah, it is. That's straight um, alphabet soup. And it's it's basically the, the hard copy version is like an updated hymnal that now is used basically all across the OPC and the RPCNA. And it's okay. one part Psalter and one part hymnal. So it has the Psalms. <laughs> Uh, set to music, uh, to sheet music, and then it also has a variety of hymns. The reason that I am affirming the the app specifically, which it's not a free app, and I usually don't recommend paid apps unless there's some sort of free component to it that you can try first. But right. the one of the things that I personally have tried to do and I've struggled to get into is private psalm singing, like private devotional psalm singing. And, you know, a lot of times people will be like, well, pick up the 1650 metrical Psalms of David, <laughs> which, you <laughs> right. know, they're all common meter, so you can just sing yes. them to any common meter tune, which Look is fine, but it's hard because it's, it's archaic language. And so you're trying, not only are you trying to like read the words and figure out the archaic language, but you're also trying to remember the tune of this common meter song. Right. Uh, so it just ends up being difficult. And then if you're trying to do that with like your family, like Ashley and I tried to do this together and we were just, we just struggled and we kind of just abandoned it after a while. But the Trinity Psalter hymnal app is really awesome because for every single um, Psalm that they have, and usually there's multiple versions of each Psalm, they have a little button that you can push that pops up and you hit the repeat thing and it will repeat the tune of the psalm as many times as there are stanzas. So you have the line right on there, then it'll repeat the tune and you can just sing right with it, Very um, nice. which is sweet because, um, you know, it's it's nice to sing psalms <laughs> and it, it's hard to do that if you don't have music, if you're not musically inclined. And this is great because it's, it's still kind of... 
the Trinity Psalter hymnal, you know, it's metrical, so it's not a strict translation. It tends to sort of still be kind of like King James Englishy a little bit, but it's not like old school Scottish metrical Psalter language. Um, so it's a, it's easier to read. It's easier to understand. You don't have to think about the music and the lyrics. You just get the tune in your head and then you can sing it. Um, it's a really right. good way to start the practice of Psalm singing either by yourself or with your family. Um, there's all sorts of other stuff that's in the app as well. Um, they, they have the hymns and stuff too. Um, but the Psalter part of it is worth it. I want to say it's like nine bucks. So it's not a cheap, it's not an inexpensive app. Um, but if you want to get into Psalm singing, it's definitely worth the, the money. And if you're using it on an iPad, you buy it on one. And you, of course it goes to all of your different devices that you have that are in that same ecosystem. Listen, I'm going to say something that people who know me will say, Oh my word, you say this all the time, but it bears importance here. Cost only matters in the absence of value. So if you're getting something out of this and it sounds like you certainly are, I think that's worth the expense, right? Also, I laughed at the beginning of this because it made it sound like you were creating like some kind of, I don't know, like mixed drink where you're like, it's equal parts this and that. (laughs) So it sounded like you were bringing together these like beautiful things all together. Anything that embeds the word of God into our mind, especially by way of music being that medium that infiltrates and infuses us with a special knowledge or memory of the word of God is absolutely worth it. So like the older I get, the more I appreciate those who have gone before us who have tried to put in just common meter, which is a fancy way of saying like the way in which like is common to us and is pleasant to the ear to appreciate the Psalms. That's like a beautiful thing. It is absolutely worth it. So, you know, I'm going to check that out because that sounds like something that's like super awesome. Well, and what's nice, you know, this, this app, because it's the actual, um, it's the actual songs that are in the OPC Psalter. It's not like a reproduction. This was act, the app was actually made to be a digital version of that. So if you are, you know, a member of an OPC church or you've, you visit an OPC church, this actually is the same exact music and settings that you're going to be singing, which will help you to sort of slide into that congregation without like that whiplash of like, oh, I always just do choruses at my church and now all of a sudden right. you're singing psalms out of a hymnal. Like that's a hard thing. You and I have talked about it because you and your sister obviously are from a family that has a long heritage of singing hymns and being a part of a church that does hymns and traditional music. Your wife and I are not. And so the we my uh, her and I have kind of remarked that when we first became a part of this family, um, and I think your your wife more so even than me because I've been in this church for so long now, the Psalter or the hymnal was kind of like a foreign land to us. So like you don't really for know sure. the tunes. It's hard. But I just want to uh, – the other nice thing about this is like they're not all 4-4 common meter songs. So like there is even some variety within the Psalter that you're not just singing the same one. Like that's the other thing that happens with metrical psalm singing when you're just trying to do it out of a metrical Psalter is you get like one tune, like usually it's like Amazing Grace is a really common 4-4 tune um, or oh four a thousand tons, tongues to sing. You get that one tune and then like you sing every psalm to that one tune. And just right. frankly, like it gets a little bit boring. So check it out. I just wanted to, I just want to do this real quick. Hold on. I might get sued for doing this. I don't think so, but here we go. Are you about to sing right now? I'm not going to sing. So it's like nice, actual, it's not like cheap MIDI, yeah, that's, like that's MIDI legit. tunes. It's actual, like, 
I don't think like it's an actual piano player, but I think it's like a synthesized piano, but it's right. a, it's an appealing song. It's not just like a stupid MIDI like file that, you know, beep, 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 beep. It's not like a, like a Nintendo entertainment system sound set. So check it out. It's great. There's all 150 Psalms. There's multiple settings for each Psalm. Um, it's a really good way to get into the practice of psalm singing, and we'll talk in a few minutes about why we need to get into the practice of psalm singing <laughs> to pre- sneak preview my my uh, denial. We listen. We are all and always bearing the lead. It's always a teaser, right? It's That's true. basically our style. Yeah. Well, what about you? What are you affirming today? All right. You ready? Here's how I'm going to build this bridge. The middle name of OPC is Presbyterian. Oh man. That's the way I'm going to connect these two affirmations. So one of the things actually I love about our conversations and about one of the things that we do with some regularity is to try to bring acknowledgement and to bring to the foreforce those who are pastors who are preaching and teaching the word of God in less famous ways. We've actually been pretty outspoken about how the cult of personality can be particularly destructive to the church of God. And so it's such a blessing to come across those who are serving across our country and across the world with great fidelity to the scriptures and our preaching and our teaching with this, this great emphasis in ways that are like unrenowned. And that's not their concern. Their concern is to serve their local congregation. So oftentimes we come forward with saying like, here's somebody you might want to listen to who is doing that exact thing. So here is one of those things I'm affirming with a podcast, which is really just the preaching ministry of a particular minister in a particular part of the world who is doing that very thing. And so I'm affirming with Pastor John Musgrave, and he has a podcast called The Gospel for Living, and it is the preaching ministry that he has at Christ Church in North Carolina. And I became familiar with him because a great friend and a dear brother recommended him to me. And this was his pastor when he lived in another part of the world. And so I've been listening to him recently, and it is the great kind of experiential reform preaching that we've talked about so long, and it's focused in a particular part of the world for a congregation. It's just the kind of thing, it's almost like you get to dip into it and see and experience something that is like particular and lovely and is concerned with what it means to minister in a way that is that doesn't have like all the trappings. It's unvarnished. It's lovely and it's particular. So I'm encouraging people to go out and to listen to him. Again, the podcast is called The Gospel for Living. And I was on the website, his particular church, Pastor John Musgrave. His, if you want to go to his church website, it's called Christ Church number one.org. And I loved this. If you go and click onto the, the particular pages about our church, at the very bottom, there is this little blurb, which I find so lovely and so humorous and also like so particular. It says, we're part of a biblically solid and faithful stripe of the Presbyterians called the Presbyterian Church in America. It started in 1973. And it's not the one that you might have heard about in the news for advocating the things that are against the clear teaching in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I just love this. Like here again is like a minister a faithful preacher of the word of God who is concerned about the, the word of God is making the plain things, the main things. And I think that if you give a listen to his podcast, you'll say, man, this is exactly everything that we talked about when we did that whole series, the book club, 
on experiential reformed preaching. So I think like it's incumbent upon us to continue to like reference and draw to light these lovely preachers across the entire world who are doing this thing in a way that again is not seeking after fame or notoriety, but they're merely trying to serve their local congregations. This is a lovely like supplement to all the things that we receive in our own congregations, but it's worth knowing that in the entire world, God, the word of God is going forth with clarity and power in their preachers who are committed to that end. Yeah. Well, I just subscribed to the podcast, so maybe next week it'll be my affirmation. <laughs> we'll see if I have some time this week to listen. That's yeah, all that's a took, great recommendation. Right? I love recommending preachers because podcasts are great. Obviously, we like podcasts. We make podcasts. But there's something about the actual preaching of the word of God that is missing from so many people's lives, um, either because they are a part of a church that the preaching is not so great. Um, or, you know, sometimes when we're actually in the congregation and we hear the same preacher over and over again, that should be the person that most impacts us. But oftentimes we almost become sent blind to their preaching. Um, sure. so hearing, hearing the preaching from others is good and great and is a healthy thing. Um, and you know, it's part of our confessional reformed heritage, you know, the, the Puritans frequently would pass around written versions of sermons from other churches for people to be edified by the preaching in a sense of other pastors that are not their pastors. So yeah, that's great. I'm going to check it out. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I love that. I think you actually, you kind of started that tradition, this idea of like, let's talk about and bring to light and maybe bring up those who, again, across the world, they're like just doing this thing. And again, they're, they're not after anything. They publish these things merely as a resource, primarily for their own congregation. But it's like an amazing privilege that we might dip into the life of another congregation and hear yeah. what's going on there. It's almost like reading somebody else's love letters, but there's something beautiful about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's great. All right. So let's get into denials because like, you know, let's get negative. What yeah. do you got that you're denying against? So I have to, I have to do all of the general couching of this. We don't hate Chris Tomlin. We don't think he's a bad person. We don't think that he doesn't love Jesus, but he just, he needs to just stop writing music and calling it worship music. So Chris Tomlin just released, I think just released us a single, which has two tracks, which I've always thought was a weird phenomena in the world. Um, uh, and it's a single called always, but one of the tracks is called Yahweh. And then in, parentheses it's called no one and i just want to the, the irony it's it's almost like he's trying to write ironically bad lyrics and i don't actually know that he wrote this but either way the the um the lyrics are yahweh yahweh holy is your name sounds great right i don't want to take it in vain and then the, the song just like basically just repeats that over and over again variations of of that and, and that's like the literal definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. He's mm-hmm. basically turned it into like a mantra that you repeat so many times it becomes meaningless. Right. And like Jesus literally says, God is not impressed by when you heap up certain words on top of each other, like the, like the Gentiles do. Um, this is co, I don't know if it's co-written or co-performed or both, uh, with Elevation Church, which is Stephen Furtick's church. So that tells you a little bit of something about the, uh, doctrinally soundness of this. But, um, you know, I'm the more that I've been listening to worship lyrics. So one of the things, um, that I've been doing, 
um, while Ashley is out on uh, maternity leave from the church, uh, taking care of the baby is I've been taking over some of the worship leading responsibilities, which for me has been basically like finding a decent track, printing up lyrics, and we're singing with like tracks of songs. And what I'm finding is like, it's really hard to find decent songs that don't also include on the performance tracks. Don't also include a bunch of like, yeah, yeahs and nanas and like extra performance stuff, which that that's fine. Those are performance tracks. They're they're not they're not worship chorus tracks. Um, but I've started to started to really reflect on how important worship music is and how important the lyrical content of worship music is. Right. On. And you can't beat the Psalms, right? I'm not an exclusive psalmody <laughs> person. Um, I think that the church is commanded to sing non-psalm hymns, which means we are commanded to write non-psalm hymns. Um, so I, I, I'm not an exclusive psalmody person, but I think most churches have a, a kind of an anemic diet of Psalter singing. Um, and, and that can take many forms, right? It can take the form of using something like the Trinity Psalter. Um, some congregations have people who are very talented at writing music um, and performing music. And so sometimes congregations can actually take the Psalms and write good music that is um, a, a faithful song derived from the Psalms. Um, or it could be songs that are already written that are based on the Psalms. I actually think that a, a congregation can faithfully fulfill the command to sing Psalms um, by reciting them together as part right of on. their worship, um, part of the musical portion of worship, of of including Psalm content as the joint affirmation or joint confession of the church during that part of the service. So I think there are a number of ways to incorporate Psalms in the congregational worship of the church. Um, but I think most churches, uh, most evangelical churches, and even a lot of reformed churches don't, they just don't even try. Like they don't, they don't right. have a component of their service that is focused on the Psalms. And I, I think most private uh, worship, private devotional worship, um, if people are even doing that, doesn't incorporate the Psalms. And I think lyrics like this, um, literally it's, it's taking the Lord's name and then immediately saying, but I don't want to take it in vain. And in the Bible, we don't have examples of, you know, the, the, the examples of worship in the Bible, especially in the Psalms are not this meaninglessly repetitive repetition of God's name. Um, the closest thing you might have to that is the Psalms that say, you know, where the congregation responds and says the Lord endures forever. But even right. in those Psalms, there's a back and forth. There's, there's a building a content. There's there's a statement by the the worship leader and then a response. Presumably, we don't have like we don't have like um, musical direction notes for most of these. But when you see a Psalm where it's like the worship leader, where one line says you know, blessed is the Lord who rescued us from Egypt. And then the next line is the Lord endures the Lord, faithful Lord, love of the Lord endures forever, whatever. Yes. It's probably an, an antithetical call and response Psalm of some sort. That is very different than a group of people just sort of chanting the name of the Lord and, and then whip, whipping themselves up into some sort of emotional frenzy based on that, um, which is definitely not what the Bible commands. That's, that's the definition of one of the definitions of taking the Lord's name in vain. So this is, I, I don't, I don't hate Chris, Tomlin. I mean, he's, I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. He's got pretty weird, extreme, intense eyes sometimes. And he was really That's into true. dancing with that mariachi guy in oh, that music yeah. video. Yes. Um, but th- it just seems like his music 
start, like, I remember how great is our God? Like that's such a great worship anthem. And then like, it seems like it's sliding into just like weird, poppy, repetitive nonsense songs. So, so get yourself a Trinity Salter hymnal app or an actual Trinity Salter hymnal and just ditch the Chris Tomlin music. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate you bringing that up because, and we've, I think we've had a whole episode where oh, we yeah. at least talked about worship lyrics. And again, yeah. the, what's vouchsafed to worship leaders where you're literally putting into the mouths of those whom you're leading these things that you're singing. So like with all that said, it's one of those things where I feel like sometimes the lyrics that we have for like quote unquote contemporary modern worship is like super enigmatic. Like they're just phrases. Yeah. And it's incumbent upon us to like try to associate them with what it actually means. It's not on the face. It's not present. It's not clear. And so I'm totally with you. So like, I understand that there's a lot. So I was challenged not long ago, honestly, with somebody saying to me, well, we're debating this kind of thing, this exact kind of thing, actually, that like repetition can be valuable. I actually don't doubt that good repetition can be really valuable if what we're saying is not enigmatic. That is, we're repeating repeating the scriptures in our worship, in our singing, in our choruses or in our verses. That can be a very helpful thing that helps us to meditate more deeply on the thing. We've joked, or at least I've joked before, that like, you know, Petra in its worship will like say the same thing 20 times. Actually, there's great value in that when you're repeating the scriptures because it's trying to embed it deeply into your consciousness, into your understanding, into your heart so that you might actually process it so it moves beyond what is rote and just repeatable into something that is meaningful right. and like literally part of who you are, that you're metabolizing that. The problem here is that I think that sometimes I listen to Chris Tomlin music and I think, what does that even mean? Yeah. And I'm a person that's like embedded in Christianese. So like I recognize that there's words like stream and water and flow and grace yeah. But like, how does this actually help me understand who God is and make me worship him in a vertical relationship as opposed to just purely horizontal? So yeah. I get what you're saying. I have written in my life very little music, but the music that I've written in, in part, like music that we've actually sung in my own congregation has been the kind of music that I feel incumbent is upon me to make sure that it represents the scriptures. And so like I've quoted directly from the scriptures. So I'd rather, if you're going to repeat something, if you're going to say something like, in selfishness, like the way that I protect myself from leading people yeah. into singing particular things is to say, isn't it better just to recite the scriptures? Honestly, isn't that yeah. like the place? Like if you were to say like, what's the least amount of risk possible that I can take? It's to just write stuff that God yeah. has given us to recite back to himself or to recite the promises of the scriptures. Like these things are inevitably always safe and always profitable. So yeah. there's like a way to be creative and there's a way to be too cute or creative in such a way that like, you're just saying things that are like, okay, I get that. Like, this is a jumble of words. Like it's a word salad of Christian words that I recognize are part and parcel of the way yeah. that we describe theology but I do sometimes feel like Chris Tomlin's on the verge of like, he's so good at creating, and this is a gift, of course, amazing melodies, but like you can't sacrifice meaning for the sake of a beautiful yeah. or like really compelling melody. And so with this particular offering, I feel like we're, we're on the verge of that very thing. Maybe I'm just an old man on my lawn shaking my fist, but I, I don't think so. Right. Like I, yeah. I, I think that there's, I think what you're saying to us is like, be careful how you sing 
and what you sing. It all matters. Just because it's catchy doesn't mean that it's particularly worshipful. Yeah. You know what I think would be awesome if somebody did? Have you seen those... Um they're like funny articles where it's like, I made a robot read 20,000 pages of <laughs> Harry Potter and here is his free, yes. like a chapter that it wrote. I would yes. love it if someone uh, made one of those for Chris Tomlin. Although I'm actually, uh, when you read some of his more recent songs, that's actually what it feels like is happening. I know. It's like, it's like God's Great Dance Floor just sounds like an AI attempt to pull yes. like all of his different lyrics together. And this is what like a robot thinks Chris Tomlin would, would sing about. Um, I feel like Bethel music and, and, um, you know, with Bethel music, it's like rain and fire and spirit and like come yes, down, like those right. words just get repeated meaninglessly. And one of the things that I think is interesting, I don't remember where I saw it, but I, I feel like I remember seeing an interview with someone from Bethel music talking about how that's actually somewhat intentional for them. They write, they write content in a way that doesn't have a very clearly defined like meaning to it. And so the yes. idea is that the person singing the song supplies the meaning with their intention. And so oceans is a, I mean, it's like an, it's a, it's a compelling song musically. It <laughs> it feels great to sing it. It's a nice song. It's actually somewhat singable, which is different than a lot of these songs, but like the music has no content. The words have no content. Right. And so like the spirit calls me to this place where my feet may wander and my, you know, my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my, like those all sound great, but like, what does that mean? Well, someone exactly. will go, well, you know, I, I had a really tough time because I lost my job. And so I'm the, the ocean was my, my unemployment. And then the other person is like, well, I had cancer and I almost died and the Holy spirit grew my arm back for me. And that was my, like, it's, it's this meaninglessness. Um, you know, it's the same kind of thing with this, this sort of chant like song that Chris Tomlin's got going on that we're talking about. It's this meaninglessness supplied with Christian words that is intended for the singer to be supplying the meaning. But in reality, like our faith has a content. There's a, there's a defined content to the Christian faith that I think a lot of evangelicals would kind of go like, what do you mean there's an intellectual content to the faith? Amen. Well, the first component of faith is a defined body of intellectual content that we then have to, we have to understand that content and then assent to that content and then ultimately trust God that that content is for us. That's the classic definition of faith. Well, when we're worshiping our worship songs that we're proclaiming to the Lord, that we're confessing with our brothers and sisters in Christ should at the very least be tied to and represent that intellectual content of the faith. And a lot of these songs, like they use the same words, but the content just isn't there. What, what right. does this song even mean? Exactly. Like, I don't want to take your name in vain. Okay. Well, do you have any clue what it actually means not to take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, we do. We've got confessional standards to help us understand that, what the Bible means by that. But does that mean I don't use the word Yahweh? Well, obviously not. Some people would say that's what it means. You don't use that word. You don't actually say the word Yahweh. Well, okay, well, then you're really in trouble here if that's like the whole chant of the song. So anyways, we could do a whole episode. We could just continue <laughs> to rant. I could just continue to rant about Chris Tomlin and Hillsong and Bethel and... Um, and that's not to say, I want to be really clear, 
I am not at a place where I'm prepared to say that you are in sin if you sing a Chris Tomlin or a Hill song or a Bethel Redding song. Like there are songs within our church's rotation that are from those sources that we have to think about and we have to we have to talk about each time we're you know we're planning on doing it. Like when we want to do a new Bethel song or a new Hillsong song, we have to think about the lyrics. We have to even sometimes do a little bit of research to understand what the singer or the writer actually meant by it. Um, and there are people that have a totally different opinion and I respect that opinion. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, we have to think about the lyrics. We have to understand the content. And when we have these songs that just have no content, there's really no value in doing them unless the song has some sort of intellectual faith content. Yes. Yeah. Right on. So the last thing I'll say is like, maybe I've said this before in the podcast, it might be the popcorn and the coconut oil, but Long-time listeners will get that as an actual joke. But uh, we were going over some music in my own congregation and preparing for the Lord's Day worship. And I was looking at this lyrics and thinking like, yeah, this is solid stuff. Then I looked up to the top of the page and saw that it was co-authored by Stephen Furtick. And I almost yeah. punched myself in the face. I know exactly which song you're talking about. Yes, exactly. Right? Because it's I think we're talking song. about this That's the most yes, frustrating it, part is it's a good yes. song. Yes, it, it's it's so good in fact that you want to be like, why is your preaching not like this? Yeah. Like it seems like a complete like divorce, like a move a, movement away yeah. from like really solid theology. So I'm with you. And I think we've been pretty outspoken that like you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater on this. Like you need to do the analysis. Like just because it, it emanates, originates, or is promulgated from a particular congregation doesn't mean that necessarily that means that you shouldn't participate in that worship because it came from that place. Right. So I'm totally with you. This is like a nuanced thing. It's complicated. And, and I'd say like an appalling way, we would say like, you're reasonable people, like discern what it means to like worship and it means to like sing these lyrics that somebody yeah. has authored. Like you, you don't need to just put them in your mouth. So like it's worthwhile to like consider all these things. Yeah. So I appreciate bringing that up. That should be a whole episode. Someday we'll do that episode, right? We'll I, do that I have a solution again. to this problem though. What is that? <laughs> this is the solution. <laughs> it's the Trinity Salter hymnal app. I don't get any money or any kickbacks. We're not sponsored by the Trinity Salter hymnal app or anything like that, but just, just go get it. It's worth yeah. whatever, however many pennies it is, it's worth it. Sing Psalms with your family, teach them to your children. Um, I don't know. Listen to it on the way to work when put it, make it your ringtone. I don't know. Do all the stuff, do all the things. So Jesse, That's what are you before fantastic. I derail us even further into another hour long episode about not the topic? Uh, what are you denying today? This will be this will be really quick, and in some ways, it's a confession. So we've spoken a lot in this podcast. You actually brought it up: the word dominion. What does oh. it mean to take dominion, which God has commanded us to do over His creation? So, right before we sat down in front of our microphones, I helped my wife, who graciously went out and got groceries. We were carrying them in, and where I live, right in our walkway, there's adjacent to it, like literally right up against it, a little tiny like fir tree. And for whatever reason, this tree tends to attract lots of like bird building and bird residents. And in this particular <laughs> year, there is a morning dove who took up the idea that he was going, or she, I actually am not well versed enough in like bird biology <laughs> to make this designation <laughs> to build a nest. But the problem is this bird has built a, like this tiny little nest. There's nothing in it, but a tiny little nest, a little dwelling place where it's like right outside the walkway. And so when you walk by this bird 
regularly for me flies like two inches in front of my face when I walk by <laughs> because it's freaked out. I get freaked out. The bird is freaked out. So in my desire to take dominion, as I was waiting for my wife to come home with the groceries, I removed the nest. And oh, so I'm man. denying against this idea of like, these birds like to like set up their residence right in a place where they get freaked out. When I walk by, I get freaked out when they fly in front of my face, like three inches. And so I was just like, this can't happen anymore. So like, what say you have, I like infringed upon what God has required or expected of me of dominion. No. Have I like gone no. too far no. with my understanding the, the of bird's that? just going to make a nest somewhere else. <laughs> Or it'll make the nest in the exact same spot. That's true. So the bird's true. not going to like, the bird didn't have a heart, didn't come home and think like its house got stolen. It's just going to go make a nest somewhere else. Did you just like move the nest to the other side of the of the tree? Uh, or did you throw the nest away? Because you you have no heart. That's I what it straight is. up destroyed oh, this so thing. Because you have no heart. Yeah, you should have just moved it to the other side of the tree or to a different tree. Well, Birds was, are smart. Was, they would have found that they would have found the nest at a different spot. Actually, not like, just moving it means it's most likely going to just build the nest in the same spot. Uh, we'll yeah, have that to may get an update in a couple weeks on the. Okay, like I'll, yeah. Listen, I'll keep everybody and you especially like posted on what happened here. But I was like, this can't happen because like again, every time we come out of the house or you come back to the house, it. I'm I'm like not joking. It, there have been times where I was like, I felt it's like, like. It's wing wind on my nose oh, as the thing exited the nest. Everybody is freaked out by this. And I did check. It's, it's not like a full nest. It was like a platform. It's just, yeah. I'm just trying to make myself feel better at this point. There were no eggs. There was nothing there. It's a morning dove. I see it. And like recent, like yesterday, I looked out the window from my, the second floor here. I saw it. I feel like it made eye contact with me because it's like head was sticking out. That's how close it is like to the edge of this tree. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to make myself feel more justified. I mean, it's like an act of grace because what's going to happen is you're going to open your door. <laughs> it's going to fly into your house and birds almost never survive that experience because their little hearts can't handle the stress. So oh, if you can if you can successfully relocate it where it's not going to be interacting with people all the time, then that's a, an act of mercy. So I mean, also like I maybe I don't have a heart, but like they're animals. I love my dog. I love animals, but like it's an, it's animal, an animal, right? Yeah, it, it's this it's is the heart of dominion. You're trying to do something to help it. It may not like you for it, and that's what it is. Yeah, I'll keep everybody. I was joking. That, I think you actually goes. do have a heart, Jesse. Just so you know. I, I appreciate that okay. very much. I was I was feeling, <laughs> as you can tell, when I started speaking about it and articulating it out loud, I was starting to feel particularly <laughs> guilty. So speaking of things that like I'm not guilty about, let's get into this special providence. And we, we talked about kind of just like general providence last week. And there's so many ways in which like so many avenues almost like we could enter into this conversation, which means that this in some ways will not be the definitive episode. And everybody knows that we love to make definitive episodes. So like we could spend like three or four weeks talking about what it means to process special providence. But like the way I want to open this up is this is not a throwaway or obvious doctrine. And the reason yeah. I say that is because we've actually received some feedback from listeners, brothers and sisters who have said like, in some ways they've always acknowledged that there is a providential, a superintending will of God, but that we've tried to get after it in it's like really specific sense. Yeah. And we've already talked about like the providence of God is his care of and provision that he makes for his creatures with his supervision and superintendence of them. Nothing in my opinion 
is more strengthening to things like faith or stabilizing to the mind or satisfying to the heart of the Christian than for him to be enabled to discern his father's hand that is guiding, shaping, and controlling everything which enters his life. And not only his own life, but that God is also governing the world and all the people and events into it. And that starts us on this particular path of talking about what it means to say that there's specific providence. So we're living in an age where there's all this kind of like terrible skepticism when most of what happens is attributed to natural causes, while God is more and more banished from the world and in the consideration of his creatures and salvation. And so like, there's this, of course, like sense that God is of course, like transcendent, but he's also imminent. So for the Christian, for maybe we might say the reformed Christian in particular, how do we understand this thing called specific providence? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, this is one of those topics that is a little bit, um, it's almost like two right in front of your face to see <laughs> it's it's one of those things that you you don't think about it until you're forced to think about it yes and part of it is because on one level god's providence applies universally to everything right god, there's nothing that happened we talked about this a little bit last week there's nothing that happens outside of god's providence so to draw right. this distinction between ordinary providence and special providence is a little bit artificial, right? Because it's not like God has to operate in a different way when he's operating with special providence than he does in general providence um, or ordinary providence. Um, But on another, on another level, it's not so much about the way that God operates in providence that makes this special or specific providence versus general or ordinary providence. It's really about where, where providence as a whole Providence considered as a single thing that God does, right? God right God has a decree before time that is the decree of, of his will for whatsoever comes to pass. And then creation and providence is the way in time that God brings about that will. And so when we talk about special providence or, or specific providence, what we're talking about is the really kind of like laser focus that God has on a particular aspect of creation. It's what creation is driving towards. So to kind of frame that biblically, I just want to read from what is probably like the the reformed favorite verse, favorite chapter in the world is Romans 28, uh, or Romans 8, 28, Romans 28. I would love it if there's 28 <laughs> cha- chapters in Romans. Romans Amen. 8, 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so when, when we when we pull back into eternity past, if you go back and listen to the episodes on the decrees, we acknowledge God's decrees are all encompassing. There's no element right of, of what happens in time that is left outside of God's decrees, but all of God's decrees are driving forward towards the self glorification of God and especially the glorification of God, the son by God, the father through the Holy spirit, through the operation of the Holy spirit. And then of course that's a, an, an um, accommodated way of talking about it. All of the operations of the, the operation of the Trinity is indivisible externally, right? All, all of God does all of the things that God does all of the time that there's no division of labors in, in God. But in terms of how God has revealed his, his will and his intention, 
It's the glorification of God, especially through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ and the glorification of the Son by the Father. That's that's the decree of God. That's what it's focused towards. And so when we talk about special providence, we're not necessarily talking about a special way that God is enacting providence or sustaining the universe. We're talking about that, that content of that focus. And so our confessional standards here in the, the Westminster um, Confession, um, chapter 5, section 7 says, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, right? So there's that part. All, providence is governing everything. There's nothing that's outside of providence. It says, so after a most special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. So not only is providence oriented towards the, the decree of God, which culminates in the glorification of God in the created order, but that happens through primarily through what God is doing in the church. And so that's that's what we have to focus on when we talk about special providence or ordinary or uh, um, specific providence is God's right. activity in his elect creatures. And our confessions talk about elect men and elect angels. And that's actually something that I find I found to be unique and was a little surprising when I started studying confessional theology is that there are these statements about the elect angels. I never had run into biblically based rational statements about elect angels. It was always like this weird pseudo Roman Catholic overly spiritualized doctrine of angels anytime I encountered mm. it. So then to run into sort of like, well, God has, has providentially acts towards and through angels um, was a little bit strange to me or a little bit new to me. That's all. Yeah, I that's got. right. Yeah, man. That, no, that was like heavy. <laughs> like I was taking a second to like deposit and metabolize that. Yeah, so I'm totally with you, of course, because like I think one of the things that's important here, and I think I might have inserted the word specific, and we were joking around before we started recording. Okay. I, I thought this episode was like specific providence because that's the way that I, I think about it in the sense that like when we mean special, this is like specific to those whom God has called onto himself. So like, like to cut to the chase, what we're almost saying is like regeneration is an act of God's special providence. And that's what differentiates it from everything we talked about heretofore. So when Adam fell, the human race became not stupid so that like the truth was hard to understand, but inimical to the acceptance of the truth. Like inimical is like that. I think it's like a, like basically like a Puritan word, like this idea of like, at odds with, like in antagonation with, like men did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And so they changed the truth of God into a lie because the carnal mind is enmity with against God. So the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness because the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God since they are spiritually discerned. And right. so like we have here, God like parsing things out under his own authority, under his own volition. So in order to quote unquote, like accept the gospel, like in quotation marks, therefore is necessary to be born again. But the abnormal depraved intellect must be remade by the Holy Spirit. The enemy must be made a friend. So this is the work, of course, of regeneration, whereby the heart of stone can be taken away and a heart of flesh can be given only by God himself, resurrecting the man who is dead in sin and giving him a new life far from being a human achievement. This requires nothing less than almighty power. So like that might seem like totally obvious, but in many streams of like even Protestant Christian theology, it's not. Yeah. 
because there's this idea of like, well, if like the appeal is strong enough, if we couch it in the right words, if we have enough authority and presence in what we say, we can bring people to the altar. And what we're saying here is no, 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 like special providence is the work of God in our lives. That is not only an act of grace, but it's like this amazing gift that we realize we just don't deserve any of this. Yeah. That we're like, we are all together in every way nonsense. And God comes and clarifies that such that we see things in a particular clarity that when we bow our knee before him, even there, we see the progenitor of that bowing, that submission, that yielding is in every way and only way. And in every way, the Holy spirit. Yeah. So I think like when we say special providence, it's, like we're not trying to couch these words. We're saying that like we ought to understand that it's a great gift of God. If you give be given something special, what it communicates is that it's something that is extraordinary. And the extra is that not everybody gets it. Yeah. Right? Like am yeah. I going too far on this? Yeah, yeah. And I mean this this maps up in some ways, um, you know, to the concept of like general revelation versus special revelation. Yes. Right? God God in the created order has revealed himself and things about himself to all people. However, he has special revelation for a particular group of people. And and right. that's another thing I think is important when we talk about special revelation or special um providence. When we talked about general providence, it's not not necessarily true that that this concept of God as the first cause and and then like the secondary chain of causation, it's not necessarily true that God doesn't ever interact in a sort of secondary causation way in general providence. Um, it's more the case, though, in special providence in terms of the way that it is revealed to us in the scripture, special providence more often uh, than general providence. And I think more often than not, actually special providence as it's revealed to us involves God actually interacting with interacting is not the right word, but interacting with the created order in a way that looks a lot like he's becoming a cause in the chain of causation. Right. Right. Think about like the way that Paul is converted, right? Christ comes and he talks to Paul. Christ creates sound waves, presumably out of his mouth as a, as the risen Christ. And those sound waves impact Paul. Those sound right. waves communicate the gospel to Paul. Or you think about Noah, right? God communicates to Noah directly. You think about the, even if we go into, um, into the average, like his ordo salutis of, of the average Christian, the Holy spirit acts on our hearts to create faith. But he he's doing so not in this secondary causation way, although secondary causation is part of it. We hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the word to create faith in us, but he also does it directly. Um, you can even think of it in, in terms of the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 accounts. Genesis 1, God is acting very indirectly. He's speaking and then things happen. He speaks and then things happen. It's this picture to say God is not tied up in the the muddiness. He's not getting his hands involved in the creation of the universe. And then you, you flip over to Genesis 2, which is very much about special providence. And actually part one of the chief acts of special providence is the giving of the covenant of works. That's right. one of the things that God exercises right. towards man in his providence in a special way is the giving of the covenant of works. Well, when he creates Adam... He doesn't just say, let there be a man. He forms the dust. He makes the clay into the shape of a man. He breathes into the nostril of the man. He takes the rib out and he closes the place up after he's put it. Like all of these things, God is very much intimately in the, in the weeds involved 
with it in such a way that it's almost like he is an actor in the secondary chain of causation. Now, we have to be careful because we, we never want to say that God is affected by his. And if he was truly in the secondary chain of causation, as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, he would be there would be that reverse causality, right? If I throw the ball, there's a certain amount of force that's exerted back on my hand from the ball. If I, uh, if I cause an effect, that effect in a certain sense causes something back on me. It causes an effect back on me. That's not true with God. But as far as God reveals himself in the scriptures with these special acts of providence, he's, he pictures himself to us stepping into this secondary chain of causation and acting as though he were part of that secondary chain of causation. Yes. He comes to Gideon. He comes to Noah and Abraham. Christ himself is actually in the secondary chain of causation as a man, but even after the resurrection, he still is operating in the church in ways where he's interacting with his creatures. It's not just, you know, a chain of a chain of events that leads to something, which would be the the normal secondary cause. So that's a really, really key part for us to understand is that God and this goes to when we talked about like um, the logical order of the decrees or when we right. went, we talked about um, double predestination. God God operates in general providence in one way. It's not as though he's absent from providence when he's operating in general providence, but he doesn't operate in exactly the same way when he's operating in special providence. Um, in a kind of a big picture way, providence is providence. God is sustaining and, and upholding the, the universe by the word of his power, whether it's special or general providence. But in terms of how he reveals himself to us, the accommodated way that he demonstrates to us his special acts of providence are by revealing to us himself in within this secondary cause of, of um, our chain of causation. And it's the same with, with the angels, right? When we, we look at um, the elect angels, he orders them and he restrains their, restrains their boundaries. But when Satan is cast out of heaven, it's the, it's the great war, right? There's a great war in right. heaven and Satan is cast out. Well, that that's, whether that's a literal war or not, whether there was really angels fighting, like fighting each other physically or not, or whether that's some sort of word picture to explain God expelling Satan out of, out of heaven and casting him out from among the elect angels. That's still a, it's still pictured as this or as this like direct involvement in the situation that we don't necessarily see when we're talking about things like the rain, God causes the rain to fall, but we don't see like God getting in there and like mixing up the clouds. Like I, I, I can't think of a passage that talks about God's involvement in the rain that way. Maybe it's there and I'm just not thinking of it, but that's not what we see of this general or ordinary providence. Right. That, yeah. That's, I think of course that's like right on. By the way, I was keeping track, like, you know, like when we talk about a particular topic, there's things that are bound to come up. So in my mind, like secret to you, I was thinking how long before somebody says the two words, ordo salutis, <laughs> it took yeah. 45 minutes, which was really good. Um, but I feel like, like that's the heart of the matter, isn't it? Like that's what we're talking yep. about. When we say like speci- special providence, like is what is the Ordo Salutis, which we've done in like a full scale episode on. And yeah. it's impossible, I, I would say, like by argument or preaching alone to cause anyone, of course, to believe the Bible. Only God can cause such belief. Like we're kind of dancing around this like central issue. So at the same time, this does not mean that the argument is useless. So Peter tells us, of course, like always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. Anyone who is unwilling to argue dispute and reason is disloyal to Christian duty, which I think is something that we've kind of articulated over time. 
So at this point then, the natural question should be, what is the use of all this expounding and explaining if it does not produce belief? And the answer should should be clearly understood. And the answer is the witness or testimony of the Holy Spirit is a witness to something. The Spirit cannot produce belief in Christ unless a sinner has heard of Christ. So, of course, when we go back to Romans, like you were saying, how then shall they call on him whom they have not heard? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it must always be kept in mind that the proclamation of the gospel is part of a spiritual struggle against the supernatural powers of the evil one. And victory comes only through the omnipotent grace of God. So special providence is always and everywhere involved in our lives. If we find, even as we hear the things that we're talking about here, that there's some resonance that it means something to us, that even in that sense we have coming before us the full grace of God who has regenerated us so that the scales fall from our eyes and our ears are unstopped. This is what it means to understand the grace of God. Yeah. So this is special providence. It's not owed to us. It's not something even, like you said, separate and distinct from like general revelation. And I think so much of kind of like contemporary or what do we call it? Like evangelicalism, like megaplex, like theology, like this idea that like, again, somehow we come before God with open arms and empty hands, like that we somehow have met him halfway. That's like complete nonsense. Yeah. That like we need the superintending will of God, which is a specific and special providence to open us up to the understanding of all of that this means. And that if we have come into the family of God, like the papers of adoption, like we know in our own world, and I've done some research in my own life, we know in our own temporal existence that adoption is never cheap. If you have... If you know somebody or you yourselves have adopted a child, which is a great and glorious thing, that you know that there's like an immense like emotional tax, but like the explicit cost of that is a very high. That how much more so when we speak about when Paul talks about what it means to be adopted in the family of God, that cost is the Son of God Himself. It is costly. It is expensive that we understand that when we speak of like special providence, it's not just a throwaway thing. It's not a doctrine that's somehow like ephemeral and enigmatic, but it's this particular and specific thing. And that when God brings us into his family, it always comes with a cost and the cost is his own son. And if God is paying that cost, you never buy something like arbitrarily. There's some way and always always never way like a volition there. Yeah. Even if it's like as easy as like tapping your finger on your phone, still you must do that thing. Right. And so like I, I'm kind of pushing against this this sense that like we can just probably bring ourselves in the family of God. There's nothing in the Bible that says that that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think this doctrine actually is one of those doctrines that and I think this is what you're getting at, it vouchsafes vouchsafes us against that foolish notion that somehow we we traverse part of the distance and meet yeah, God. Yeah, right on. Even in like I remember I remember when I was in college, I went to a, a general Baptist college. Um, and I remember like there was a big debate when I was there about like what percentage of the way does a person go before like before God reaches them. And it was <laughs> like a serious that was like a debate? Yeah, it was like a serious conversation. It was like 
well, I th- I feel like we have to go like we we have to go fifty percent, and they would line up their Bible verses, and oh no, I mean I feel like <laughs> I, like it's ninety nine percent because because no man may boast. Like if you only go one percent of the way, then you certainly can't boast in one percent. You know, like oh, you can't <laughs> boast in forty percent if God goes. Like it was a serious debate. Yeah. And what I you know I was the I was like the lone Calvinist in my little group of friends. I didn't really. I didn't really have categories for it at the time, but I I just intrinsically knew this was a nonsense argument because if the distance between God and man is an infinite distance and we go 1% of an infinite distance, that's an incoherent concept. Like that's a, that's a Mm. nonsense statement to talk about percentages. I know, I know, blah, blah, blah. I know closed infinity versus open infinity. I get it. But like in, in real terms, like a percentage of infinity is a, is an insane nonsense concept in reality. Only the infinite God can traverse the infinite distance between God yes. and man to to claim us. So it's it's understanding that God God had to act providentially in a special way to do that. If if we think of general revelation as something that's given to all people, and this is I mean this is adventures in Romans one and two, right? We're right. only given enough knowledge to condemn us. The knowledge that we're right. given by creation is only sufficient to render us without excuse. And so only then when there is a, an act of special providence that traverses that and sort of busts us past that barrier of what general revelation can get us, only then are we in a position where God has enabled us to receive his spirit. And again, like Calvinists don't real true confessional Calvinists don't argue that man is a puppet, that, that we don't do anything in salvation. Like God enables us to embrace Christ freely, to receive Christ freely. We, we receive Christ and we receive Christ according to our volition, but it's that special act of providence where he gives us a new will. He gives us a new volition by which we're able to embrace Christ. And then there's other things the Holy Spirit's doing. He's enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ. He's, he's convicting of us, our sins. He's persuading us of the truth of the gospel. All these things are happening, but they're happening in a way that requires God to step into in an, an analogical sense to step into our creator reality and act upon us as though he was a part of the causation chain. Um, that's, that's key. And, and like I said, like in um, when you think about reprobation versus election, this is the same conversation in reprobation. God is letting natural consequences and natural cause and effect play out. He's not, he's not stepping into the causation and interrupting it. He's simply allowing the logical consequences of the original sin to play out in that person's life. In election, he's stepping forward and interrupting the normal secondary cause of uh, secondary chain of causation by introducing himself as a new element. He's introducing himself as a new actor in that chain to change that causation. Right, left to their own natural uh, natural senses, man would never turn to Jesus. According to the normal logical chain of causation, no person with general revelation would ever turn to God, ever, ever. But God, rich in mercy, right? There's that great Ephesians 2, but God, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love he had for us, he sent Jesus Christ who interrupted that chain of causation for us. So we could we could continue to talk on this. I mean, this is at the very heart of the gospel, which is why I think people who get that it's at the very heart of the gospel, people who understand that God is so intimately involved in all things 
and then in a special sense, intimately involved in the salvation of his people. Right. No, right. Not, not in the offer and availability of salvation to all people, but in the actual concrete salvation of his people who he has chosen. This is a source of like encouragement and excitement and energy for us because it does get at the heart of the gospel. If there's nothing that I could do because it, it required a special engagement of God, uh, a special work of God in my life to bring me past what I could otherwise have accomplished, not in like the supernatural, like super don't super Adam sense of the Roman Catholic church, but like this special act of providence where God enables me to embrace Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Right? You can't actually have the biblical gospel in that sense. And that's that's why someone like Calvin or someone like Zwingli or someone in the Reformed stream of thought, why they latch on to this element of Augustinian predestination and say, this this right here, this actually is where we break with Rome. It's not, it's not on the it's not on this thing. It's not on the Trinity. It's not on the nature of God. It's not on um, the hypostatic union, although there's some squirrely stuff on there. But it's not about that. Mm. It's not even necessarily about prefall anthropology, although there are differences there. It's about whether God, whether salvation is of the Lord, which yes. requires this special act of providence, or whether salvation is in some sense of of us, of man, or in yes. some shared sense, right? It's yes. of the Lord and of man. Well, no, the, the Reformed thought and Lutheran thought inconsistently, but the Reformed thought says, no, salvation is of the Lord. And when we say that, what we mean is salvation is a special act of providence that God engages on on behalf of his right people on. in order to glorify himself and present a bride spotless to his son. Right. That's, that's all wrapped up in there, man. I, I feel like I need like the Kool-Aid man gift to go off here. Like <laughs> I want to run through a wall. I know that's usually Jesse's catchphrase, but I'm just jazzed up. Yeah. Fair enough. I feel like I need I was gonna, jazz hands. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you felt like you went just straight up, like bust through, like, again, I respect David. He lipped over the wall and he felt that his God could do that. But I feel like my God wants me just to go right through that barrier. So um, I appreciate everything that you're saying there because like, I think that part of what we're after here is that the gospel is like fundamentally amazing news, yeah. right? Like that all of that we thought we could achieve on ourselves, which by the way, like, can I make like one more plug for Pilgrim's Progress? Because everything you just said is like in the penultimate chapter when Bunyan tries to, or Bunyan does actually effectively unpack this very conversation with his character that he puts forward, which is ignorant. And he talks about like, if you read what ignorance says, I would say like maybe 85% of kind of just like modern evangelicals would hear what ignorance says and say like, that's right on. And what he's saying is actually the Catholic worldview, which of course Bunyan has great desire to kind of push against, which is God empowers us to do this particular thing. And what we're saying here is no, God does all of the things. Like what would Jesus do? Everything. And it's already done. So it's important to remind ourselves that the good news is actually good news. And yet we're going to bristle against that good news, like normatively, because it removes from us every responsibility for action. That is that we could somehow meritoriously earn something. We could feel better about ourselves because we do something. It's actually the fact that you are actually awful in your core. Everything you have is depraved and compromised and reversed. And so God has come and rescued you. And so in that rescue, you can't take credit for a single thing, which means that if you do anything, 
and think that somehow this ingratiates yourself toward God, that you've missed the whole point. In fact, it's an adventure and missing all of what the gospel means. So I'm also like equally pumped up. So I could also run through a wall right now if given the opportunity. I mean, there's walls around me, but I'm pretty sure I don't want to actually try that. I feel like you'd get really messed up if you actually ran through a wall, <laughs> just like in a lot of ways, like the, you just like the blunt force trauma. There's like there's nails and like shards of rock. It just would that, be that's bad. fair. Is there any chance that like in the heavenly realm, like when God resurrects us and we are completely glorified, that you're like so so part of me likes to think that when Jesus entered the upper room where the apostles, like the disciples themselves, were hiding away because of all that had happened in their context, that is there any chance that like somewhere in the Greek, Jesus was like, oh yeah, when he came into that room? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, we know what he said. I doubt he was like, oh yeah, behold my hands and scars. And, yeah, I don't think that that was what it was. My favorite is John Calvin trying to explain that without somehow postulating that Jesus like phased through the wall. And he's like, he probably yeah, yeah, climbed yeah. in through the window. <laughs> I don't think he climbed in through the window, John. Sorry. Like he was halfway through and they were like, wait, who is that? I don't understand. Yeah. Wait, what is happening right now? And they're like, yeah. and Jesus was like, be, you know, be not concerned. Be not afraid. It is yeah. I. They're like, why are you climbing through the wall, Jesus? He could have just knocked on the door. <laughs> Climbing through the through the through the thing, you know. You know, one thing I'll close with here yeah. is uh, if you buy the Trinity Psalter Hymnal app, you can sing <laughs> Psalm 18, and you can sing, "By you I run against a troop. By you, my God, I leap a wall." There we go. Yeah, you can. There we go. True. Listen, true. I I feel compelled at this point to ask because our brother and sister is going to ask this of us. Really, how much are you getting compensated for bringing up the Trinity Salt? <laughs> Zero. Zero dollars. <laughs> Zero dollars. I might be storing up treasures in heaven. I might be. It's possible. but Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Listen, speaking Zero of dollars. storing up treasures in heaven and the opposite of that, if you want treasures on earth for some reason and you would like to support the podcast, if you go to reformbrotherhood.com, one of the things, one of the many things that you can do to support this lovely podcast, which by the way, we said it over and over again, it's free for everybody, and that's because we have so many gracious and lovely brothers and sisters who give toward the financial expenses we have. One of the ways that you can do that is we have a little store, and you can go out and purchase many things. I remember you saying, Tony, that recently you accommodated this request to bring in the color black it's true. for our T-shirts. Like We have many things. There's pint glasses, there's T-shirts, there's masks, all kinds of things. I've seen recently that the color black t-shirt is like super popular. It I is. never saw this coming. And I saw recently that brother Mike purchased some t-shirts. You can go out and do this too. Everything that you purchase from that website does in part go back to funding funding this podcast. So we appreciate that. Brother Mike, thanks for picking up a couple of t-shirts. And apparently, again, black is like in vogue. That's, that is what the people want. They want our faces, the logo, on black, on their chests. <laughs> and I can't say that they, I blame them because, like, you are super handsome. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, and, you know, I'm looking at the uh, new arrivals on our, our merchandising site where, like, I create this stuff. If you want me to make a long sleeve kimono robe, I could do that. <laughs> Uh, or if you want some Reform Brotherhood gift wrapping paper, I could do that. That's a thing? Yeah, it could be. Um, okay. I could get you a heavy-duty floor mat, like a welcome <laughs> mat. 
There's just all sorts of cool <laughs> stuff here. Like, uh, let's see. I could do a lamp. It's called Lamp on a Stand. We could do a Reformed Brotherhood lamp. Wow. So beanbag chair cover. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> really, I can make just about anything with our face on it. So again, we've got lots of cool stuff already. I shouldn't say lots. We've got cool stuff already available if you go to the merch store. But if you want something, let me know and I can probably make it happen. Uh, the other thing that we've got going on, and it's just been it's just been a lot of fun, is we've started this Reform Brotherhood Telegram group yes, and channel. This is great. And uh, the telephone the telephone the Telegram channel is growing. Uh, we're up to like twenty ish twenty five members. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, we'll have more people. Uh, it's been really interesting because you can kind of see when people are listening to the episodes because of when they That's join true. the channel. Uh, right. But you can go to t dot me the letter t dot m e slash Reform Brotherhood if you'd like to gr- join our Telegram group. Uh, otherwise, if you just want to get announcements about the latest episode or if we're doing a new contest or something, you don't really want to interact, uh, get that too. Sometimes your phone's blown up and you just don't really want that. Uh, you can go to t.me slash love the brotherhood. Um, if you don't have Telegram, it'll, it should bring you to a, a link to either download the app if you're on your phone or it'll or have you go to the website if you're on um, your browser. If you do have it, it should jump you right in there. We did have someone say they were having trouble staying in the channel. And I think you have to actually comment on something. You have to make a, a note. Like you have to right. say something in the um, in the group, otherwise when you close your app, I think it actually takes you out of the group unless you've said something. Um, so make sure you say hi when you join. Uh, usually people are happy to see you. We've got all sorts of cool conversations going on. Discussions about baptism this week. Uh, we had some people talking about how their their in laws are studying the doctrine of providence. They've been talking about it. So cool stuff going so on. Good. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's lots of different options. We're exploring some other innovative ways to utilize that. that that um, may involve some other platforms uh, coming up soon here, Ooh. but I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it's a really good way for us to just interact without all the sort of like noise and chatter of social media, which is just yeah, got to be a bit much. It's super good, and I've been impressed with it. And we're of course about to close down this episode finally for those who have stick, stuck with us this entire time. I just want to say this: so recently, my own personal study of the scriptures brought me to First Peter two. And maybe some don't realize that the tagline we're about to say comes exactly from that chapter. I got to verse 17, which says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. When I read it in my mind, so I'm like <laughs> tracking, processing with Peter writing this amazing revelation from God himself. When it got to 1 Peter, Peter 2.17, I heard, like it was totally chilling to that point. And then it was like, Honor everyone. <laughs> Love the brotherhood. Uh. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So because we need to keep, I would say, in line with that great tradition we started, Tony, until next time, as Peter has said to us, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood.